This week on the Sport Blokes. This week, the coronation is complete as the Sydney Kings are champs of NBL 22. A British journalist comes up with a formula for one weird type of racism. And two laps are better than one as a premature celebration brings a jockey unstuck. Had a lot of fun against you, Eva. Let's go. It's 12.44 on Saturday, the 14th of May. Checks out. Sydney are the kings of the NBL. We'll get there in a moment. But as we do, well, at least one more time, and we'll talk about that later too, what caught your attention and what'd you miss? Well, what caught my attention this week made Stu say bloody hell. <laughs> Should we just play it now or just go for it? Just roll it out. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, the what caught my attention and bloody hell this week goes to jockey Michael Poy, who joined a very exclusive and probably unwanted club during the week. He actually went for home a lap early. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) So riding Dente in the 2,828-metre benchmark 58, Poy clearly forgot it was a two-lap race and not a one-lapper when he stuck the whip in and drove for home, finishing miles ahead of the field with a lap to go. (laughs) Yeah, it uh, ended pretty much how you would expect. Dente was moved way down in the field, finished eighth, about 19 lengths short of the winner. And uh, to make it worse for Poi, he was actually charged with negligence for miscounting the lap and was suspended for two months. Wow. Seems a pretty harsh penalty for kind of miscounting, really, doesn't it? It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I don't know enough about horse racing. I'm sure there must be some good reason, maybe. I don't know. I mean, he still lost. Yeah, so I yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird one anyway. Yeah. Can I squeeze a bloody hell related what caught your attention in too while we're at it? What made Nath say bloody hell? A couple in the US have claimed that they've been visited by the Child Protection Services because they let their six-year-old son run in the 42-kilometre marathon called the Flying Pig Marathon in Cincinnati. <laughs> Six years Six old. Six years old, 42K. How do you do? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> prob- they probably sent child protective services because he didn't win. Jeez. So, family. That, yeah, that's a weird one, that one. <laughs> finished swine. Yes, that's right, Stewie. We called the finished swine, given, given it was the Flying Pig Marathon. It does look like he finished. It does look like he finished. His parents look like a couple of complete hippies. So that's, you know, not all that surprising. Here's a quote from the parents. Our children are having emotional breakdowns, not from running, but from a mob that has been weaponized by running's most accomplished and celebrated individuals. Here's a quote from me. Aren't we always whinging that kids are spending too much time sitting in front of computers or laptops or phones and not getting out and doing stuff? Well, here's a kid that clearly wanted to get out and run. Why are we so pissed off about this? And he looks very happy in that picture there, doesn't he? Yeah, With those thumbs up. Two thumbs that's, up. That's very... Um... Very awkward angled thumbs, but... <laughs> he doesn't uh, look happy at all. No, he's just run, <laughs> just run a 42 kilometers. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, God, can we just celebrate the fact that the kid did it? Indeed. Oh, there's one of him looking really happy with a big pack of Pringles. Yeah, and he's looking happy before the race with his number by the looks of it. So, yeah, yeah there you go. All right, well, that concludes our bloody hell section of what caught your attention. <laughs> Bloody hell. You got anything else, Drew? Oh, look, I'm all done for what caught your attention. I know you've probably still got a couple of things you want to talk about. I noticed that the Kentucky Derby winner was at 80 to 1 odds. Yeah. Oh, if you put a bit of money there. Did you see Paolo Banquero being mistaken at the F1 for Patrick Mahomes <laughs> by did. a British journalist? <laughs> I did see that. Oh, man, that was awkward. The, the moment when the guy realised that it wasn't Pat Mahomes was classic. He oh. was like, oh, wait, 
you're not who I think you are. And then he just shrugs to the camera. Like, yeah. And credit to him, I think he actually admits that. I think he does. He mention oh, him yeah. by name. I can't remember. It's a few days ago now. But yeah, yeah, think, yeah. Like a bit of credit where it's due. Like not a great, great look, but he did admit his, his mistake. But he's missed out on Paolo Banquero, who's likely a Could, f- yeah, first, top three, probably first or second draft yeah, pick in the yeah. draft. Yeah, yeah. Well done. Yep. Yeah. Speaking of drafts, I said that the NHL has instituted that no one can win the draft lottery twice in any five-year period. What do you think? It's interesting. It's one that maybe the NBA should look at. Yeah. I mean, it definitely will probably discourage people from tanking a little bit more if you know that you don't have the opportunity to, I guess, recreate the process. So Indeed, yes. Yep. It's not a yep. bad idea. I mean, obviously, the playing game has been brought in to kind of aid against tanking a bit, and I think it has worked. But I, I think it's an interesting idea. Hmm. Yeah. And speaking of NHL, now finally, I'm going to go to the third umpire here. I want to show you some footage for an authentic reaction. So this was taken at a uh, Pittsburgh Penguins game. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> so a guy's like excited. Gone in for the kiss. No, sorry. <laughs> She's put the towel in his mouth. Think on. No, sir. <laughs> no kiss for you. No soup for you. <laughs> Oh, the, the, the slow, slow motion. <laughs> oh, you can see every muscle. That is... She feared oh. for her life, that woman. <laughs> oh, dear. Good Lord. What'd you miss, mate? Well, I've been having real trouble this week getting more than a quarter or a half of basketball in. Uh, I mean, the NBA has just been almost a write-off for me. The playoffs have been good, though, I have to say. Yeah, ebbs and flows a little bit. So we've just finished watching the Golden State and Memphis game six. The Warriors have wrapped that one up, much to your chagrin. Unless Memphis outscored them 13 nothing in the last minute. Well, yes, yeah, we did turn it off prematurely because we've got a lot to get through today. We, we but do. We it do. seemed over. But we've got a couple of game sevens. So Dallas and Phoenix tomorrow. You've got Milwaukee and Boston the day after that. So hats off to Boston for getting one in Milwaukee. Mm. What a fascinating series that's been. Yeah. Four, as you mentioned earlier. Four out of the six games have been won by yeah, the other team. Yeah. So hopefully it's five out of seven. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't mind two wins. I, I'd probably, yeah, I'd probably prefer Milwaukee to win. But mm. yeah, I hope it's a good game. Yeah, yeah. that's been good. How about yourself, mate? Yeah, similar thing. Kind of, I've had to kind of watch bits and pieces rather than full games. And again, I focused on the NBL, so I haven't missed any NBL. Would have liked to have seen a little bit more footy and a little bit more NBA. But I, I mean, I've seen bits and pieces. I saw Phoenix and Dallas game four, which was a good one. Mm. Crikey. Doncic is just next level, isn't he? He is. He's so good. But there's been some really, like Philly and Miami, was, like blowouts. Fizzer of a series. Weird series. And I'm very justified in my James Harden hate. <laughs> yeah, I think most of the uh, Philadelphia population is is well and truly in agreement with you. I mean, I mean, it's yeah. Anytime you bring a guy in, and it's been documented all over Twitter, you bring a guy in to replace someone who won't shoot in the fourth quarter with a guy that takes two shots in the second half of a must-win elimination game. Yeah, it doesn't read well. This is a guy that wants supermax. Mm. He just quits on teams like. He's, he, I used to talk about the regular season Rockets. He's one of the greatest regular season players of all time, yep. but he does not step up in the playoffs. Give him the super get the fuck out of Oh, it, the track record is terrible. If I'm a Philly fan, I want no part of him because his contract, and I've said it before, and I started saying it before a lot of media members did, is going to look like the Russell Westbrook contract eventually. I'll, sooner I'll rather than later. So intrigued to see in five years' time what this trade looks like. Yep. Because at the moment, you've got a guy who hasn't played and a guy who didn't turn up to play. Yep. Yep. And, and, <laughs> and uh, Ben's got back, back yeah. surgery on the cards yeah. now. So. so it's like five yeah. years' time, it might not be a case of who won the trade. It's like who didn't lose it. Yes. Yeah. It's so weird. <laughs> oh, dear. Yes. Feel for Philly fans. They're not very happy. 
I don't think Matisse is all that popular there anymore now either. Well, I mean, you were saying to me just before we hit record on this, that crazy stat about Philly. Yeah, I saw on Twitter the other night. Now, I haven't verified this, but it, it seems right that they've only made the conference finals once since Dr. J retired. And that was, of course, the year that Alan Iverson took them to the finals and in pitched that yeah. game against the Lakers. Yep. And then, yeah, unfortunately, didn't go so well after oh, that. They, they, they were heavily undermanned. They but... played the Lakers. Oh, they played them tough. They played them tough, man. Yeah. Were, like Robert Ory had to hit some big shots in that series. Kobe hit some big shots. Like If it wasn't for Shaq bullying Dikembe Mutombo, even though he played a good game. He always plays a good game. It was, yeah, it was, it was a good series, that yeah. match. I quite enjoyed that one. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Who wants to sex Matumbo? <laughs> should I, I should probably give context there. Apparently he would walk into parties and that's what he would exclaim at the top of his That life. was his pickup line. Yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. And Fair bad. enough. Yeah. Yeah. Like wag the finger. Yeah, I'm seven. Well, oh, anyway, sorry. All right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so let's get into the NBL. As I mentioned, Sydney are kings of the NBL jungle and hats off to them or crowns off to them, perhaps. No, we don't have, <laughs> we crowns. Don't have crowns. We don't hats off to them. Or beanie. beanie bloody for cold. You, yeah. yeah, bloody cold. I'll take my hair off, I guess. <laughs> At least you got some still. Well, <laughs> it's got to be one positive my, to be amazing. It's going quicker than I'd like. Anyway, Sydney. Sydney. Yeah, so as predicted, a 3 nothing sweep of the Tassie Jack Jumper, or at least predicted by me. I think you gave Tassie one. I did give them one. Uh, I thought they'd, they'd get, get that game too. They nearly did. Yeah. They nearly yeah, did. Yeah. But full credit to the Jack Jumpers. True to their character, they fought all the way to the end, even without Jack McVeigh and Fabian Krislovich in game three. It's kind of funny how that was spoken about so much, but people kind of didn't really mention the Jalen Adams thing much. Well, I think Sydney were that deep and that good and that bigger favourites that, that they were going to always concentrate on the Tassie storylines, weren't they? That the MVP of the league is less... Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's big. Yeah. It's big. And look, Tassie did catch a bit of a break, not having to play a Melbourne team with Golding. True. And then Jalen Adams. And obviously, as you mentioned, they had some issues of their own in Game 3, but yeah, yeah. tough. Uphill it, battle. It, it was tough. So for the Kings, their first championship since 2005 and their fourth overall. So obviously nice for Sydney. What, what do they call themselves? The home of hoops? Sydney and Melbourne both seem to. Yeah. So I, I don't know where the home is, but well, yeah. it's currently in Sydney. I it guess, is, yeah. yeah. So yeah. they have the bragging rights. Yeah. And hats off to them. It, look, it's good for the league. I think if you look at it and say a big market team like Sydney wins the championship, and a small market team that's just come into the competition finishes second, that's the league a, will take that. That's a storyline yeah, that you yeah. could not have written before the start of the season. Absolutely. You would argue though, for two thirds of the season, Sydney were clearly the best team in the competition. Oh, that streak was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely they were. Yeah. And I don't think it's any real surprise that they are crowned as champions at the end of it. Not at all. Even if they'd been playing Melbourne in the finals, I would have seriously considered picking them in a sweep. I might have given Melbourne one. I would have said 3-1, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we'll race through the scores quickly. Game one, 95-78. Sydney controlled it for the most part. Game two was much closer, 90-86, to but DJ broke their hearts at the end there. And then game three, 97-88. Again, Tassie kind of hung tough for longer than I probably gave them a chance. Three and a half quarters. Yeah, given two of their five starters were gone, they they did really well to, to stick around as long as they did, but obviously Sydney just too good. So we're going to kind of talk about the series holistically. Yeah, I don't think we'll dwell on game one a hell of a lot, but the thing that kind of really stuck out to me was that Adams and Majette combined for 23 points on just seven of 28 shooting. And when we were kind of chatting about it with all our NBL friends in the podcast world, the Jacksons of the world and, and Woody and Robbie and that, I, I said, look, I can't 
see Adams and Majek combining for that sort of shooting again. Surely, like, surely they've got to do a bit more. At least Adams did his job. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll, get we'll, we, we'll get to that. Xavier Cooks was great and really kind of laid the table for what was an eventual MVP series for him. He had 14, 11 and 7 with a steal and a block on 5 of 6 shooting. So eventually averaged 19 points, 11.7 rebounds and 5.3 assists in the sweep. So great work for him. But yeah, we'll, we'll maybe shoot ahead to game two when it was a bit more competitive, I guess. Mm. So the game itself, I mean, it was yeah great to watch, nice and close. The place was rocking as you expect out of Tassie every single time you watch him play. Yep. That would have to be the best arena to play in outside of your home arena. Well, what was the Pete Hawley call? It was like we're a flare away from this being a EuroLeague game, yeah. basically. Well, <laughs> so, shout out to the great Peter Hawley. It, we're hoping we might get him on in yeah. uh, a future episode. Fingers crossed. As, yeah. as, it is funny you say that because I actually likened it a little bit to the college basketball experience where the place is always jumping. And yeah, well, who? someone was at Santa Maria mentioned the crazies, yeah, the Cameron okay. crazies or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Or was it might have even been Gazy. I can't remember who it was. But yeah, they, they said similar things about... Hmm. Yeah, Cameron Indoor at, uh, in North Carolina there. But I think what we saw was, I think probably one of the nicest storylines out of all of the entire finals. In fact, the whole season, really. Dale Vasiljevic, everyone can easily forget, did his Achilles. Yeah, well, not only that. If he doesn't do his Achilles, he probably wins Rookie of the Year instead of Josh Giddy. There's yeah. a very good chance he takes that Rookie of the Year. I so, think so. Yeah, yep. And so he comes back and you got to look, this is a guy in his second season, and I'm saying inverted commas because of how much time he missed. Yeah. He comes up and makes the biggest shot of his life at the end of game two. It yeah, was yeah. not a great offense. It was very much a let's run as much time off the clock as we possibly can. And then at the end of it, it's like, oh, shit, we need to get a shot up here. Vasiljevic makes an awesome cut towards the ball. I think it was Ian Clark from memory. And just hoists up this three. And you're thinking, all right, if you're a Tassie Jack jumper, that's the best you could have possibly hoped for out of that offense. And I think was the was the Josh Adams three in the corner before that? Just before that. Yeah, to make it a one-point game, I think. Yeah. So yeah, that last kind of minute and a half, two minutes were pretty frantic. And Josh Adams did his best to keep Tazzy in the game. But that DJ, that was a backbreaker, wasn't it? Well, it was, man. An it was absolute like dagger. Six or seven seconds left yeah, in the game. Yeah. You're not going to get no, that five No, points. well, you can't. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, I think out of all of the storylines, obviously, yeah, the Jack Jumpers as a whole is a great storyline. But out of the Sydney stories, I think Vasiljevic coming back off that Achilles, so strong, a little bit up and down in parts. I mean, it wasn't great in game three, but that dagger, I mean, that basically that wins the series for them. It, it all but kills off Tazzy. Yeah, you it was say. it was huge, especially knowing what we know afterwards with Tazzy getting a few guys getting sick. Yeah. So yeah, no, that yeah. was huge. So if they go back to Sydney one-one, okay, it's a different series altogether. Yeah, okay, Sydney probably gets Game Three as they did, but you still have to go back. And I tell you what, those Jack Jumpers fans, they wanted blood at the end because Pasiljevic, he he gave it to them. Yeah. So what do you make of the histrionics? Like, <sighs> it's it's really hard because at the end of the day. As I just said, he's hit the biggest shot of his entire life. You kind of have to expect that he's going to celebrate. Okay, maybe went a little bit over the top, but I mean, I, I think I think that's probably how I would have gone about it as well. Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. I know a lot of people were sticking the boot in a bit, but you're playing for a championship. Yeah. You, there's a lot of energy. There's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of blood, sweat and tears, passion, everything. So I, I don't have a problem with it at all. I, I, it, it's good for the game. A bit of drama, a bit of theatrics. It's good for the news, little clips that they, the little highlight packages and stuff. It's good to have that stuff. Yeah. So I, I don't have a problem with it at all, actually. If, if it's a round two game, fair enough. I could understand all of that. But yeah, 
We're talking game two of the grand final series here. And as I said, this is a, a franchise that hadn't won anything since 2005. It's not like, it's going to sound really arrogant, but it's not like Perth where we kind of win it every second year. And <laughs> Well, that might change. Not, yeah, yeah, well, those, those years might be over. Potentially. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, if it's been so long, this is, this is huge. I, I don't have a problem with it either. I think it's great. So we don't think that's too controversial. There was another piece of controversy in game two, the, the sign kicking. The LED kicking, and we'll get to that maybe after. I know yeah. you've got a bit of holistic we, we can't, yeah. notes. Well, I mean, I guess I just wanted to ask you the question, what was your overall feeling of this final series? I think it's a shame it was marred by injury. And it seems that, I don't know, either I've got a short memory or it seems that sport has more injuries than normal. I mentioned it in the NBA to key players and, and really important pieces. I don't know if that's true or not. It just has felt that way lately. I still enjoyed the final series. Obviously, there was only one that wasn't a sweep. So we nearly had the minimum amount of games. Although it probably would have been a more competitive series had Melbourne made it, I am happy for Tassie and I'm glad they made it. And I think it's great for them and their stranglehold on the market there. Really, I mean, just about couldn't have had a better season for that. So I think it's good for the league. I didn't mind it. I I probably enjoyed the Melbourne-Tassie series the most, personally. Okay. Yeah, it was okay. It wasn't the worst, but it wasn't spectacular. And obviously, Tassie were very undermanned, particularly by game three. Majette was disappointing. Yeah, very much so. So what's funny, like, so in the preseason, when we did the preview with the NBL Pocket Podcast lads, I was saying that I was a big fan of Adams and I liked him ahead of Majette. And a lot of people had Majette. And it's really funny. It was in game three of, of round one where I started to go, oh, maybe I need to concede that Majette is the better player. But <laughs> then Adams went off and Majette disappeared. So how's this? I mentioned what happened in game one. He only had 10 points on three of 10 shooting in game two. And he only had 12 points on five of 13 shooting in game three. Now, he did chuck out some assists, but uh, you need more out of your input. I actually found a lot with Majet. The shots that he was taking were the wrong ones. Oh, a lot of, yeah, like long threes. Like he'd come around a screen and you'd think, okay, cool. You're on balance. You've got a wide open look. Let it fly. And those are the ones he was passing up. And then he would be, you know, sort of like, yeah, six feet behind the line. And you're thinking, no, 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 that's not the one. But yeah. He's a bit reminiscent of Tyler Harvey in that sense. You kind of live and die by it. It's like he'll hit these big shots, but they're bad shots. They're taken from a good two meters from beyond the arc, for example. Yeah, And you're like, oh, that's a bad shot. But sometimes it drops. So you kind of got to live and die by, I don't know. Yeah, that that was a big deal. The other thing I found interesting was that Sydney clearly went inside a lot more than Melbourne. Sydney had the game plan that Melbourne should have had, I feel. I didn't feel like Melbourne went inside enough. Jarrell Martin was a beast inside. And in game three, Xavier Xavier Cooks was a beast all around. Talk about him in a minute. Um, But Sydney won the points in the paint battle 40 to 16 in game three. Like, good luck, Tassie. Like, it's very hard to win in those circumstances. Well, I mean, they've got no one who can score inside. Yeah, it's kind of a miracle that it was only a nine-point game in the end yeah. in that sense. Yeah. See, I have to say, I kind of disagree with you. I, I actually found that that final series, it, it just kind of left me excited to reset and start the season again. And I know people are going to go, oh, yeah, you just sound like a typical salty Perth fan. And there's probably <laughs> a fair element of truth to that. <laughs> But did this series not feel exactly the same as the Melbourne United Perth series last year? Do you? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was the that was the shame of it. Yeah. And so I'll, I'll kind of summarize that. So a heavily overmatched team going up against the juggernaut, fighting and scrapping hard. Ultimately, the favorite is too strong. They make the big plays when they need to, and it ends up as a sweep. Yeah. It, it felt like watching a movie with the Rock in it. 
You know how it's going to... Hear me out, hear me out. You know how it's going to end. There's no real plot twist that blow you away. You're distracted from that by a few fancy bits of action. Oh, have you seen Tooth Fairy, Stu? Have you seen Tooth Fairy? (laughs) Oh, my God. It's fucking terrible. (laughs) Of course it is. Yeah, yeah. Of course it is. But there might be plot twist. I can't remember. No, we're not going to find out either. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't know. I just struggled a little bit. And if you want to know how mismatched they were, look at the opening jump ball of game three. Clint Steindl jumped for Yeah, Dazzle. yeah. I actually felt like he probably could have got more minutes actually across the series. Potentially. He was playing half, he played less than half a game, a slightly less than half a game. But if he's, yeah. if he's, yeah, yeah, if yeah, he's yeah. jumping center for, yeah. surely you put, I mean, I know Jock Perry probably can barely jump over a slice of paper, but. Jock Perry actually got some minutes. Yeah. Hit some threes. Airballed a three in there. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's got no conscience. I thought he did some good things earlier in the season at times in spot duty, but but he was very overmatched. Like Martin yeah. just abused him. Yeah. But I just, just quickly to go back to kind of illustrate my point. If you look at the last few years, we've kind of been starved of good finals. Like this one for me was meh. Last season was meh. 2020 was pretty good for three games, the Sydney Perth one. Well, last season, let's go back to last season a bit. Part of the reason, it was better than it should have been because the Wildcats actually really competed, even though, and I read those stats about how few minutes, not only Bryce missing the whole thing, but there were all sorts of guys like Steindl, Travers, Norton, all sorts of blokes played like half the the series, if that. Yeah. So, so Perth actually made it more interesting than they probably should have. But, you, but, but yeah, you, it was a sweep. You knew what was going to happen yeah, at yeah, the yeah. end of every game. That Jock yeah. Landell was going to take over. Yeah, Goldie, Barber yeah. was going to travel on a half-court yeah. yeah, We're still not salty about it. <laughs> but just going back again, obviously, yeah, 2020, the COVID-tarnished Sydney-Perth series. Yeah, but also the, the semis were really good in that final series, if you recall. Yes. So Perth-Cairns was fucking great. It was. Like, I still have all three of those games on my fetch because they were such good games, such good games. And there was that game where there was that 40-point game. Melbourne and Sydney was a weird series. Yeah, so that was an entertaining. It was a shame that it was marred with COVID. You're, mm. Yeah, tarnished. Yeah. Good word. Yeah. yeah. 2019, closest game in that series was 10 points. The other three were 15 or more. 2018, went the distance, 3-2, but only one game inside of nine points. And 2017 was a sweep. Like the ben- Yeah, wow. When you put it in those terms. Yeah, yeah I haven't thought about it. Yeah, like interesting. The benchmark is, is 1993. Obviously, the Melbourne Tigers defeating the Perth Wildcats, that was probably the pinnacle of final series in terms of the quality and the closeness. But there were a few good ones around that time, like Melbourne and South East Melbourne had some really good battles. Yep. Perth and North Melbourne in 95. Yep. There were some decent series in those mid-90s. That's yeah. it. Like, but we haven't had a, a series like that in the final since like 2012, maybe. There haven't been that whole deciding game sweat or the Nathan pacing around like a madman because that's <laughs> that's what you do in close games. I'm yes. thinking like the Swans-Eagles final. Yes, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. Up and down. Yeah, yeah. Well, at Challenge Stadium when we had seats at the back so I could pace in, yeah, in close games if it. I had to. Yeah. Wearing a hole in the floor, basically. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah, it just, I don't know. For me, it kind of left a little bit of a, I don't know, it left me wanting a lot more. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. probably how I'd put it. But yeah. having said that, though, there's a lot of really awesome things to talk about coming out of this series. And I did want to kind of touch on a few of them and kind of get your thoughts. Sure. So obviously for Sydney, Xavier Cooks, MVP. I don't think there was any real issue with him being MVP. Not at all. Jarrell Martin was good, but his first game was not that great. Like he was phenomenal in game three. Yeah. And Cooks does a bit more all around the court as well. I think, you know, the five and a half assists is pretty bloody good. Well, I think the other thing was what you mentioned with the block and the steal. Yeah. He had a block and a steal at least in all three of the games. Yeah. So he was, yeah. he was doing stuff defensively. He was going to be the matchup problem for Tassie right from the start. 
and didn't have anyone who was big enough or agile enough absolutely or, yeah. you know to yeah. go with him yeah and and we've talked about Macintosh kind of really improving as the season's worn on but Sydney both Sydney and Melbourne were, were two teams that were really hard for Tassie to match up against mm. and Sydney as I said exploited them better yeah, yeah. I will say this about Cooks, though. I think the thing that impressed me the most is really random. How many times he actually got fouled in the series? And, and I know a lot of people are like, why the fuck is that important? So game one, he got fouled six times, more than anyone in the game. Game two, nine times, yeah. more than anyone in the game. Game three, eight times. So 23 times fouled in three games. That kind of outlines, and that's, as you were saying off air, that's the ones that were called. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could make a case for probably a handful more. What did you make of the umpiring, by the way? Uh, I mean, it's always horrific. I, I thought the home teams tended to get the better cooking, but I thought that Sydney maybe got slighter edge at times. Like, I actually remember Scott Roth, I think it was in game two, actually, even though Tazzy were at home in that one. He was basically kind of saying, come on, guys, like, really? You're going to... Yeah, three points. Like, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, I think he said at one point, just, just give him a point. Exactly, so yeah, yeah. fucking lane violation yeah. from, I think it was Majet coming in from the three-point line. That hasn't been called they in never, like, yeah, yeah. years, and it yeah. happens every game. Like, yeah. You pick now to call it. Yeah, yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah, it was a shame. So, yeah, but as I say, Cooks, unstoppable. That that shows how much pressure he's putting on the ring if he gets fouled that many times. Mm. So, really impressive. Mm. NBA bound? I would think so, yeah. I don't, He'll I don't, definitely get a training camp invite. I don't think he needs to shoot the three. I think he can be very much one of these guys that gets inside, relies on his ability to out-jump a lot of guys. Okay, the NBA will have higher flyers than the NBL, but... The fact he can pass holds him in good stead, yeah. I think. And yeah, he I mean, he can step out every now and then, but you're right. He doesn't need to be a big stretch guy. And he's a good defender. And he rebounds. Very, very, yeah. So he, he brings a lot of tools to the table that NBA teams would like, I think. I think yeah. so. I yeah. think so. And he's and he's look, he's got a bit of mongrel in him. Like yeah. He, and he's he does. He like, does. Like he yeah. like he gets aggro. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. I yeah, we'll talk about an incident a little bit later on, but he yeah, does. Yeah, we're going through some of the nicer things before we talk about controversies. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Now, Ian Clark was the other one. So, look, after round seven of this season, the Kings were eighth on the ladder. Yep. It's crazy. Clark, we're just marred with injury troubles. They were. Yeah. Clark comes in at eight and seven. And, you know, even though Jalen Adams was the MVP, Clark's role, I think, was probably the most critical to them being as successful as they were. Like he's got that NBA experience. He's got the swagger. I don't think the Kings are as successful with RJ Hunter, quite frankly. Oh, probably not. No. Clark, Clark hit some big shots at the right time. Now he had a couple of faux pas along the way with foot on the line and that sort of thing. Not in the finals, but that yeah. Game, yeah, the game gets still a while. Yeah, 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 leading into the final. I mean, it didn't matter in the end, did it? That they didn't have home court advantage no, in that well, series. No, this is it. But one of the, and I'll, I'll... And sorry, by the way, how crazy is it? And he's off to Hong Kong now. But how crazy is it that Gorge only won one playoff game in those two seasons with pretty good Illawarra teams? Mm -hmm. And it was in Perth. Yep. So he did not win a home game as coach in those two seasons. Absolutely. Yeah, wow. And we'll just take a quick second. Massive shout out to the Throwback Hoops guys. Winners really, and grinners, Woody. Really, well, a really cool stat from Woody. He was saying that if Ian Clark had hit that shot and not been out of bounds, the Kings would have won 20 of their last 21 games. Wow. Yeah, well, that that just that stat blew me away because yeah, I hadn't dominant. thought about it. Yeah, it is dominant. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if we talk about, I guess, what was so important with Clark? I mean, he was spectacular in the home games. It wasn't amazing in game two, but he played his role, didn't he? He, he did, and yeah. particularly down the stretch in game three. That game, oh, hits a big shots. Like it needed somebody to take it by the throat, yeah. and yep. they were down 73-71, and he hits a three. Next possession, driving layup. Next possession, hits another three. 
Then 40 seconds later, hits another three. And that's funny because I remember thinking, oh, they need more out of Clark here. And then that's exactly yeah. what they got. 11 crunch time. Yeah. 11 points in two and a half minutes. Yep. That's your ball game. Yeah, absolutely it was. Yep. Yep, yep definitely. Now, Sean Bruce. Yeah, oh, he was one of a number of role players that played really well. On both teams, there were some good role players. I am the first to admit, I have never really liked Sean Bruce. I think he's one of those scrappy, borderline, dangerously dirty players. <laughs> Maybe not dangerously, but he, he's, he can be borderline dirty. He reminds me of Wayne Doggy Larkins. Yeah, a little bit. From yeah. back in the day. If you have him on your team, you love taller, him. But yeah, yeah. But yeah. If, he's, yeah, if you're playing against him, not so much. But let's not pretend for a second that he was not sensational in this series. Oh, he was excellent. He was. He, he, he was, was brilliant. And it, it's there were very few holes in the Sydney team, were there really? There were very few players that didn't play well. Yeah, true. But true. he was excellent. He was excellent. And, and look, it's already been spoken about. Another shout out, Andrew and Joe on the NBL Pocket Podcast. Enjoy your hibernation, lads. Well deserved. <laughs> but Bruce had an 18 to 3 assist to turnover ratio in the series. 18 to 3. Yeah, wow. Now, Josh Majette had 22 and 5. So only other player even close to a 6 to 1 ratio. But when you get that coming off your bench, it's usually a step down. And okay, Bruce didn't shoot the ball particularly well, but he ran that team so perfectly. And put his body on the line and yep. hit a couple of big shots at times. Yeah. No, no, he played very well. He was spectacular. Yep. And then the last shout out for Sydney is the public. Yeah. Wednesday night game. Yeah. Yep. Not easy to get to. Not making excuses like the Melbourne United. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if they were making excuses. I think they assumed they were going into the granny. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So a record 16,149 people at Kudos Bank Arena for game three, 12,765 at game one as well. Yep. So uh, an amazing effort. And that's great for the game. I personally forgot just how far and how inconvenient Homebush yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, it, It's like it kind it of- It does keep people away. Yeah. Yeah. Like it reminded me when the Wildcats played out of Challenge Stadium, no public transport, horrible parking. Yeah, yeah. Middle of nowhere, basically. I look back on those days very fondly because I think the energy in that stadium was probably a lot like what it's like in Tassie. Yes. There are the benefits of the small stadiums in some ways, but yeah, no, it was a bitch to get to. It, it was. And yeah. it, and, and People bogging their cars in the, like, <laughs> we got bogged on multiple occasions yeah, in did. different cars. Like. Had, to, had to push each other out, yeah. <laughs> But, I remember a mate flagging down RAC and giving him a cheeky 50 bucks because he wasn't a member. And he's like, uh, pulled him out just at the, just I don't, I don't by chance. Yeah, it mustn't yeah. have been at that. But there, there you go. But yeah, absolutely full credit to the Sydney public. Phenomenal effort getting out there and being loud. Yes. Being really raucous. That, that's, that's hard to do in an arena that big is to make it sound loud. It can be a little bit echoey at times, but yeah, they did amazingly. No, definitely. Hats off. Enjoy the win. Now, flip side for Tassie, Josh Adams. Resign that man, please. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, he said he said earlier that I think what just prior to the playoffs that he would like to stay in Tassie, so that'd be mm. great. Well, I mean, it's interesting because he you look at his career stats internationally, and okay, he had a really big year in China, which everyone does. But aside from that, this has been the best year he's had professionally by a good margin. So he's in a city that adores him. A season with Will Magne on board could be huge for him as well. Yep, gives him a decent sort of presence inside. Yep you'd have to think that they would be as successful next year with him. So hopefully. Do you consider not keeping Majet and getting a big? Or do you consider getting rid of McIntosh for a big? I'd keep McIntosh. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. depends on the money, I think. Yeah, but. that that's probably very, very true. Yeah. But he plays with a chip on his shoulder, just like the whole Tassie market. Kind of epitomizes them perfectly. They 
the whole Tassie market has that chip on their shoulder. We're always the over- blue collar kind yeah. of yeah. We're always overlooked. We're not thought of that sort of thing. So do you know who's a little bit reminiscent of? So I've been going back and listening to some of our old stuff to finally release a preview <laughs> after a hundred episodes yep, nice. uh, because we are kind of changing tack, and we'll talk about that in a second. But I, I listened to Alex Loughton talking about Scotty Wilberkin. Yeah, okay. There's some parallels there. The mongrel and the yep. kind of attitude and, and the ice in the veins yeah, and yeah, like guard as well, obviously. Yeah. So let's kind of talk about his series a little bit. And we saw it in the Melbourne series. We've seen it in this series. He's a flat-out baller. Absolutely ridiculous. Well, he's a big game player. Yeah. Clearly, because he stepped up in the finals. And, and let's, you know, talk about it holistically. He was borderline trash in game one. Four of 18 from the field did not have any real meaningful impact aside from yeah no tazzy tazzy were a bit deer in the headlights in game one i think yeah but as a team those last two games 36 and 27 combined 22 of 42 from the field and it's not even so much that if you're shooting 22 of 42 on layups and hooks around the ring fair enough yeah corner fadeaway step back threes and all sorts of crazy shit the degree of difficulty (laughs) on 90% 90% of the shots that he took from outside would have been way up on the scale. And then a lot of the layups he did have were like twisting, turning, kind of... Scoopy layups. Yeah, 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 getting around defenders. He was the only reason that Tazzy were in game two and three. Yeah, probably. I would say. Well, maybe not the only reason, but he was the vast majority of the reason. So, yeah, I think... Well, he- him and I, I'm seeing your your next guy on your list, him and Jared Weeks. Yep. Weeksy was excellent. Yeah, well, let's, let's talk about Weeksy. Yeah, brilliant against one of his old teams. That was the Kevin White 2021 role. Basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Kevin White, a guy who didn't get much playing time for Perth, and obviously the same with Weeks. He was averaging, I think, less than 11 minutes a game across the season. Stepped up big, knocked down some big shots. Oh, some huge shots. Keep so them in the game. 11 points, three triples in games two and three. Yep. Which was massive because Clint Steindl, I don't think he looked right. A lot of the time. Yeah, he might have been a bit banged up too. Yeah, or maybe he was... They, they mentioned another bloke was sick, but they didn't say who it was. Maybe it was him. So this this was another thing that, that Woody and Robbie were talking about. Oh, so, I haven't had a chance to listen yet. No, Shout so out, boys. Matt Kenyon played five minutes. Ah, uh, Matt Kenyon. So, yeah, but often often he'd, they'd start him and then not play much after that. So that was always a, a, a Tassie strategy throughout the season. Yeah, I, I, so, I, I think that makes the most sense. But it might have been, yeah. Okay. Him and Adams. Yeah, yeah. Because Adams didn't play as many minutes as he probably should have. So, But uh, yeah, Clint Steinle, 8 of 28 across the series. And McIntosh, look, he was okay, but he didn't. He didn't shoot well. Didn't shoot well. A lot of his stuff was on the boards and second chance and that sort of stuff. So yeah. he, he was four of 19 in games two and three combined. So yeah. not amazing. Yeah, so yeah, not good getting all. that option from a Jared Weeks, again, like huge in keeping them in those games. And I mean, they were we, we knew they were massively, massively out, outgunned. In this oh, yeah. It was just yeah. a case of, yeah, trying to keep it ugly. And unfortunately for, for them, I mean, you look at the score lines, Sydney scored in the 90s in all three games and... It's always going to be an uphill just, battle. Yeah, it's just not a number. Yeah. And then the final shout-out, State of Tasmania. They acquitted themselves so well all season. They were on fire again in Game 2. We've kind of talked about this, but do you honestly think if they moved into a eight 9,000-seat stadium that it would have the same effect? Um, Maybe not. Like, yeah, there is these intimate... Like I said with Challenge, these these intimate stadiums can have a charm to them and 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 have an atmosphere to them that's that's really cool but i also think like i said i think it was last week if 
they'd put in another 2,000 seats. They should have probably put in another 2,000 seats in that stadium. Yeah, they probably didn't build it big enough. Because I kind of think of like the snake pit back in the days of Illawarra playing in that one, like the front row was almost on the corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. was ridiculous how close they were to that uh, line. God, snake pit. So yeah, those sorts of ones, yeah, you sort of think, well, if they add a bigger stadium, do they lose it? Whereas obviously in a Perth market where there's more people than there are in a Hobart, a Newcastle and Illawarra, some of these smaller markets that have been in the NBL. Yeah, you just kind of wonder, but God, they put on such a show, that March chant that they do. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Like it's corny as fuck, but it, yeah. it's so good. Yeah, well, and it's unique to them. So it's it's that's what's cool too. It's not just defense or hungry jacks or whatever. Yeah, like that. yeah exactly. I love how people chant hungry jacks on an and one. Yeah. Or like or, or they've made, or the, they've first made the first one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You might need to learn how that works, guys. I really do just want to summarize how good a home court advantage this has been, though. They had a better home court record than the Wildcats and the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. Mm. Two teams that most people had in their top four. Yeah, well, two teams in the finals last year. Yep. And quick tangent. I don't know if you noticed this, but the top six teams this season all had better away records than home records. I remember we were tracking that at one point and it was kind of trending in that direction. And I never, yeah, so yeah. in the end, it did finish that way. The top six all had yeah. a better record away from home. Yeah, that's crazy. Isn't it nuts? It's, I don't know if it's one of those weird COVID things or just one of those weird seasons. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Now, I've got a couple of things I do want to quickly talk about. There was a crucial moment that I thought didn't get any real airtime from game three. Gazy talked about it a bit. Gazy was very sharp in the commentary, picking up key details. He was, but it... Like that review where there, were the, there was fresh air. Remember that one? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Gazy was on point in the commentary, I thought. He was. He yeah. Was. I mean, the whole commentary team was brilliant. Oh, yeah, they, I were. Thought they, they were. They've been a real highlight. It, it, it's one of the shining lights in the NBL coverage is the commentary team. I know a lot of people don't like Russo, but he uh, he hasn't featured much at well, all lately. So. No, which has been great. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, certainly they've been a lot better than the camera angles where you're sitting, oh. sitting in the 15th row in a woman's purse. Oh. Oh, it's yeah. Insane. No, not fun. But going back to, yeah, game three, 8.05 left in the fourth quarter. Tassie are up by five. They've kind of got a bit of momentum. Majette jumps in front of a pass for Xavier Cooks, who basically then drags Majette to the ground and kicked him twice as he's sort of walking over the top of him. Now, we all know the refs love that camera time. They love being heard and seen. <laughs> How in the world do they not review that? Well, especially that second kick. That second kick was like the old wrestling kind of like family jewels almost. Stomp like, over him, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. To me... It wasn't a good look. At the very least, it's a technical for the kick, but it probably should have been unsportsmanlike. Probably. For dragging him down and, and basically stopping a fast break. And so what happens? The play gets stopped, Sydney gets set up, they get a stop, and then Sydney go on a bit of a run. Uh, I guarantee if that was Daniel Johnson or Tyrell Harrison, or any big on one of those lesser teams. Matt Hodgson. Well, Perth aren't a lesser. Like, no, no, actually, but, I, but I was season. thinking he's a guy that the refs and the oh, slap yeah. and all that. Absolutely. Like, that, yeah, yeah. that would get called a hundred yeah. times. Yep. So, yeah, I I found that a bit frustrating. We were a lesser team this season, sure. Yes, we were. Whether you like it or not. I didn't want to admit it, but we were. Yep. Now, you alluded to it before, Chase Buford. Yeah, Chase Buford, hey. So, look, in fairness, the call was wrong. They called a 10-second backcourt on Sydney because they were looking at the shot clock. But the shot clock, there'd been a timeout and there should have been a reset. So the call was wrong. But nevertheless, Chase Buford got wildly pissed off and did a massive kick of the LED screen causing the pixelation. Like, he, he fucked it up. Oh, he he did, broke he, it. He did. Just quickly for a second. Nathan does know it's an eight-second call, not a 10. Oh, sorry. 
Did I say 10? You did say 10. I'm that's living a, in the past. Doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm living in the past. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that's sorry. That's why. Sorry. It was 14 showing. So it had been 10 seconds. Yes. In theory. Okay. That's why I'm thinking 10. Because 14 was showing on the shot clock. But it's... Oh, I tell you what, Kevin Lish was a hero there. Because who knows what would have happened if he hadn't wrapped him up. Well, you're absolutely right. So he'd already been teed up earlier in the game. That call, as you say, goes against them. He kicks the screen. Most of the time, that is an automatic technical foul. You would be ejected from that. It absolutely game. should have been a tech, definitely. But the referees didn't see it, and yep. that happens sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So the league fines him five hundred dollars, reduced to three seventy five for an early plea, but they decided not to enforce this early plea. Hold on, like early plea. Yeah. it's like there's video evidence. Like, of course, oh, yeah, there's an early. Course, can you yeah. imagine? Yeah. I didn't kick <laughs> no, it. It was a gust, gust of wind. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it broke on its own. The fact that I then sat on top of it and kind of tried to cover it. <laughs> Did you notice that for the rest of it? He was like really sheepish. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, he went into a shell in game three completely. But anyway, they decide not to enforce the one game ban that he picked up, that whole suspended one game ban for uh, saying that he hoped Chris Reed wouldn't officiate their playoff series with Illawarra. And scribbling NBL refs fucking suck on the locker room. Yes. Let's, let's remember that. Let's also remember that. Yes. For me, though, I think that the league needs to decide whether it's going to be a black and white league or a grey league. So if we talk about the in-game stuff for a second, we've harped on about how stupid the rule is where any kind of unsportsmanlike foul, whether it's dragging a player down or taking a swipe at them as they run towards a fast break, coupled with any kind of technical foul, whether you're talking swearing at a ref or just stepping on a baseline, that is an automatic ejection. That is black and white. There's no shade of grey in terms of it doesn't matter what kind of tech or what kind of unsportsmanlike it is. But then the league comes out and says, well, kicking the shit out of this signage is kind of a different unsportsmanlike yeah, behavior. Yeah, some weird technicality. Yeah, like... In-game situation. Versus, yeah, make up your mind. It's either unsportsmanlike or it's not. Let's call a spade a spade here. The NBL did not want to suspend Chase in a closeout game knowing that Sydney were probably going to win and they didn't want him to not be in the image holding up the trophy. Mm. And they probably also still feel a bit funny about the COVID series and maybe felt like they owed Sydney something, weirdly. Mm. That's, that plays a part here too, I think, that, that modern history. But given what happened to Scott Fisher when he threw a sign way back in the day and we were at that game against uh, Illawarra or whatever they were called, Wollongong, the Hawks. The Hawks, yeah. Um, and, and that was, I've, I distinctly remember that game. That was before we changed seats to the back row at Challenge. We're in different seats. I think that was the first season we had membership at Challenge. Yeah. But anyway, the other thing is the league clearly decided that, that precedent and penalties, the, the times have changed and things are moving on. So we had the Matt Hodgson situation where they determined that that was more egregious than perhaps previously would have been adjudicated. Yep. They, had to, they had to give him a game. Mm. They had to. Mm. But it's the optics. I actually did a little bit of digging, funnily enough, and He's actually got priors, not so much for the kicking the LED sign. When he was coaching the Wisconsin Herd in the G League, he was actually suspended for two games for referring to officiating in a game as, quote, unprofessional and embarrassing, and then calling Matt Rafferty, one of the refs, a fucking clown. Well, I've seen the footage. Oh, you've seen it? Well, well, uh, if it's the one I'm thinking of, I've definitely seen footage. It was circulating before the season started because they were like, this is the new Kings coach. Check out what he said. So I don't know if it's the the one you're talking about, yeah. but he's definitely had problems in the past. Yes, he was really smarmy in that presser after game two as well. He's always smarmy. Oh, he, he said he said that the Illawarra crowd was as good as the Tassie crowd. 
of all the disingenuous, ridiculous wow. bullshit comments, there were some weird presses. Like the 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 Tassie presser after game two, the line of questioning was basically like, "Oh well, guys, you had a good season. Enjoy the loss in Sydney for game three. Yeah, that was totally the tone and line of questioning. And and Josh Adams was like, "Well, no, like we've been we've had our backs against the wall for the last two months." We're going to actually try and win this game. There were some weird presses, particularly after game two. Yeah. Now, I don't want to go on a big rant because I've kind of done this with Chase Buford before, but he's Steve Kerr. <laughs> I, I personally, I, I don't think he's an amazing coach. I think he's got an amazing roster. And if you kind of want a little bit of proof of this, I present to you Luke Walton. Okay. In the 2015-16 season, it's been well documented, Luke Walton was the interim coach for the Warriors. He had them for 43 games and went 39 and four. Yes. Since that. But it's not on his permanent record. No. Which is a weird wrinkle in this. It's bullshit. It's a joke. Yeah, it is a joke. But then he goes to a less talented Lakers team for three years, wins 26, 35 and 37 games. And then has two seasons in Sacramento with 31 and 41 records. He was genuinely considered a terrible coach before they sacked him. Well, those Sacramento teams weren't spectacular, but yeah. But he won 90% of his games with the Warriors. Yeah, well, that Warriors team was spectacular. Why, though? Because they had the MVP of the league yeah. and their roster was fucking stacked. Yeah, well, was that the 73 year? But does that sound familiar? Yeah, 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 of course. Exactly. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I will say this, though, because I don't want people thinking that all I do is rag on Buford. What he does really well is exactly what Steve Kerr does well. He builds relationships with his players. He gets them believing they're the best team in the league. And he massages these relationships with these players and manages to get maybe a little bit more out of them. I don't think he's, as I say, a spectacular coach, but I think he, he does that well, keeping the guys engaged, keeping them together as a unit. Well, for me, it was the game planning and the execution of game planning. Sydney did it better than Melbourne. There was an easy blueprint to beat this Tassie team. You use your bigs and you bang it inside. Hmm. And rather than going small at times like Melbourne did, Sydney went, you know what? We're going to go big where DJ is the smallest guy on the court. We're going to throw makers at you. Incidentally, I saw a sign that said, time to meet your maker <laughs> nice. before game three, which are makers because there's two of them. Yeah, nice. yeah. So I don't know. I think the game planning and the execution of game planning, he deserves credit for too. Oh, maybe a little bit. But yeah, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I don't think he gets to the finals with Tassie. And I don't think he gets to the final with any other NBL team, quite frankly. So yeah. Doesn't strike me as a great guy, but obviously did a, a you know a decent enough job to win the championship. So very interesting to see if he's one and done if he heads back to the states after this. Mm. Yeah, and and I will say this: I don't think suspending him would have made a difference. I still think Sydney wins game. Oh, of three. course, yeah, I agree, I agree. But yeah. it, it does piss me off that the league found a loophole to get him. It's out it was a rock and hard place situation, but hey, if you're going to follow precedent, and if a guy's meant to keep his nose clean, do it. Yeah, 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 it's a bit spineless. Can I round this out with what I think is the tweet of the finals? Go on. So, <laughs> bit risque. I've been getting a lot of joy out of a Twitter account, P Marotta, at Marotta P. Absolutely brilliant. He, it's very clear he's not a fan of the Kings at all. Kind of like how Dan Ewing isn't a fan of the Wildcats. So, um, it's been, well, most of Australia is. Well, Wildcats, let's face it. Touche. <laughs> but he tweeted the following, which had me in absolute stitches. The Sydney Kings used to be called the Violet Crumbles, but this current group should be called the Snickers because every single one of them is a veiny cock. <laughs> it's not normally an image I would associate with a Snickers bar, but the one he found did... It was uh... a massive Snickers bar. 
the slice was probably more, uh, yeah, so, more accurate. Yeah, but, so it looked like a rooster. Yeah, yes. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But for all it sounds like, I do honestly want to congratulate the Sydney Kings. They oh, absolutely, yeah, spectacular all season, worthy champions. Yep, deserved it definitely. Yeah, and good for the league. Absolutely, definitely, yeah. definitely. Now, just quickly, Liz Cambridge, Andrew Gaze went off words. Well, he like he's sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> My intro, sweat. Liz Cambridge, Andrew Gaze. <laughs> Andrew Gaze is one of the most diplomatic. I mean, Bogut accuses him of fence sitting all the time. He's one of the most diplomatic commentators, respectful, chooses his words wisely. But he he unloaded on Liz Cambage and and good on him too, because Absolutely. she's been taking the piss. And on offsiders where General Hayes said that Cambage allegedly basically said, go back to your third world country, among other things that were much worse and couldn't be said at that time slot on the ABC on a Sunday morning. And, and she claimed that the, the Basketball Australia never did anything for her. Both guys and O'Hay said, no, we bent over backwards for her. And it was just really telling. Like when, when a guy like him who's really diplomatic says what he says, that to me suggests that she is definitely in the wrong in this situation. It's like the old phrase, if you piss off Canada, you need to take a long, hard look at yourself. <laughs> Same sort of vein. If you piss off Andrew Gaze, yes. that's when you need to go, mm, maybe I'm being a dick. Yeah, yeah. but well, clearly she's got no self-awareness and she can do no wrong in her own eyes. Mm. So she'll, uh, yeah, she'll never think that. So we've kind of alluded to this for a while now. We've recorded the episodes. We've racked up the hours. We've had the runs on the board. We gave a brief wave of the bat for the 50 and then the raise of the bat and the fist bump for the ton. Now it's time to shift gears, isn't it, Shui? We did get run out next ball, like I said. <laughs> well, so it's interesting. So when we had a chat with the ginger assassin, Alex Roberts, a few episodes ago, episode 95 and the interview as well, listen to those clips. They're great fun. He mentioned how like, oh, like, do your wives, like, do you have any time for them? And it was maybe a little bit more prophetic than we'd care to admit. Yeah, so <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> so, so as much as we've loved doing a weekly kind of newsy recappy kind of show, focusing on the sports that we love, cricket, basketball and footy. And funnily enough, and that was one of... And Carbody. Well, Carbody. Yeah, now that you know how to say it. Yeah. <laughs> And that time you missed it. <laughs> and we had a lot of fun. We've had a lot of fun over these last nearly two years. Nearly five days worth of episodes, 120 odd hours of this. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> but it is time for a change. Yeah, I kind of feel like I should be singing The Winds of Change by Scorpion right now. <laughs> One thing I always did, Stewie, in our episodes is find a way to squeeze in a music reference. So I'm glad you did on that occasion. Do you know I once went to their farewell tour and they didn't even play that song? That is a joke. I was gutted, hey. What other songs do they even have? Uh, Rocky Like a Hurricane. They do have oh, some okay. good songs. Oh, wow. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, that's a pretty big song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Best Is Yet To Come is a cool track of the newer songs that they've recorded more recently in the last decade or so. But yeah, I was really pissed off about that. Anyway, so when we were kind of kicking around ideas, we thought of, okay, do we do specials about the weird and wonderful in sport? And we've already done a couple of choke specials. So check out episodes 72 and 75. Check out next week. Episode 102 will be another choke special where we talk about Chris Webber. So we, I know that we have a lot of basketball fans, so that's definitely one worth mm. listening to. We talked about maybe doing some specials and some newsy stuff. Now, we kind of fell into a groove of doing newsy stuff every week and only use specials in the odd weeks when we couldn't record. But I think we're going to flip the script now, aren't we? Because yeah. our employment situation and our life and things have changed a little bit over the last two years, we can't maintain the recording schedule that we once could. So... We're actually, we're going to record another three episodes today after we stop this one. Yes. If we don't run out of time. So so keep an eye out for specials. 
And look, rather than tell you what we're doing, let's give you a little bit of a taste now and show you. Some people absolutely hate the phrase choke in sport, but what's the difference between a heartbreaking loss and a choke? So for every improbable win or implausible outcome, there's a heartbreaking story that counters it. But he said, and I quote, each time one of the eight who spoke for the book told me their story, it sort of opened another little door. It was stunning to find out that there had been so many times where this sort of flaw had surfaced and yet nothing had been done about it. But the big one obviously is the one that everyone talks about. 1984 NBA draft, choosing Sam Bowie over Michael Jordan. It's incredible how bad the legacy of choking is on this team. Third shot goes straight into Barry's burn. That's the name of it, by the way. Barry Burn, yeah. Ba yeah, it's it's not, I mean, I don't know. You can't really give water a, a gender unless it's French or... Uh, oh, well, if it's gender fluid, Stewie. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> now, the second rule is we will only be drafting one round for the simple reason that by the time you reach the end of the second round, there's usually a bunch of players who never played a single NBA game or had a very short career. He lost four litres of blood in a minute. Wow. His ephemeral artery was missed by one millimetre. He said had that been nicked, he would have bled out in 30 seconds and died on the ice. This presented 27 different scenarios that were possible from those three games. But the only one of those that would eliminate the US would be if they lost to Trinidad and Tobago, Honduras beat Mexico, and Panama defeated Costa Rica. If any of those three results were even a draw, the USA was safe. This could scarcely be more unlikely to happen. There are more highlights in that first set than most full matches would have. Coleman could have been the best power forward ever. Instead, he played just well enough to ensure his next paycheck. <laughs> so choke specials, redrafting, sports curses, sports parents and children. There's all sorts of topics that we look forward to talking about in the coming weeks. Doing a Bradbury is going to be a fun one that will be in a few weeks' time, so keep an eye out for that. And if anyone has any ideas or things that they want us to look at, absolutely. Always happy to take those on board. Please send us through an email. Sportblokes at gmail.com or at sportblokes on Twitter. Definitely. Please do. Yeah. Nathan always has the handles. All, all feedback is, is great. Yeah. Yep. Be it a question, be it a topic you'd like us to talk about. Call us out if you don't agree with something we've said or if we've missed something. Obviously, you know, with a lot of these things, we try and research them the best we can, but in some cases, there's entire books or documentaries, all sorts of things are written about them and done on them. So, so we're not then we're, when we're confining it to between 30 and 50 minutes, it's not an exhaustive discussion, mm. but it's a nice little taster and it's maybe a, a thing for people to maybe look further if they're interested. Absolutely. All right, Stewie, you know what that music means? Time for some final thoughts. Whoa, 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 whoa. Where's what are you ant for? Well, I guess now that we're not doing a weekly newsy kind of show, the what are you amped for is maybe not as important. Should we start this again? It's redundant. Let's, no. let's, let's start this again. All right, Nathan. Final thoughts? Well, yeah, had a lot of fun, Shui. Really looking forward to the next chapter with the show. We've got a lot of specials to come. Please keep an eye out for it. Yeah, like and subscribe. That is the biggest thing that we can ask for from everyone out there. Indeed. If you do have a spare five days, check out all the previous episodes. <laughs> Great for COVID quarantines. And we can be listened to in 1.8 speed pretty comfortably, I think. I've Ooh, found. Geez. Well, I listen in 1.8 when I go back and listen to stuff. So My voice high enough as it is. <laughs> uh, yes, but no, do keep an eye on things. Until next time, I'm Nathan. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes. <laughs>